We're turning together in the book of Jude, and we're coming down to a close in our study of this blessed little epistle, this meaty epistle, this double shot of espresso uh, epistle. It, is, it has power, doesn't it? It is packed uh, with power and has a punch, and uh, brothers and sisters, this is what we need. I think we often think we know what we need more than God knows what we need, and yet when we come to study God's Word and you jump into epistles that you think you know, like I did, oh, I'm, this is a good one. I've read this, I read this, you know, can quote key verses out of it, but man, when you get into the weeds of it, uh, you just find that this is the Word for the time, and uh, we have been grateful for God's Word ministering to us, building us up, strengthening us. And now we come to Jude 20 through 23. The title of our message this evening is The Believer's Strategy for Apostate Times. The Believer's Strategy for Apostate Times, part two here this evening. So let's jump into the Word of God, beginning there in verse, verse 20. Jude writes, he says, But you, beloved, be building yourselves up on your most holy faith. How do we do that, Jude? Well, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some, have compassion, making a distinction, making a difference. But others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that is defiled by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. As we've seen in this epistle, Jude loves the use of threes. In one sense, you could say Jude is the original three-point and a poem uh, preacher as he pulls in extra-biblical literature, as he outlines his thoughts and his thinking. He's very organized, but particularly in his use of triads or the use of threes. Now, we've, we've taken note of that multiple times in the study, but we'll, we'll begin there again to lay the context this evening. As we look into this epistle, we see that Jude is moved from, in verses 17 down through verse 20, or verses 16 down through verse 20, the final things that he has to say regarding the apostates that are within the church or to be on guard against the church. And he moves from their example to now he shifts his focus to the personal example, to the church that he's trying to strengthen, us by extension here this evening. He moves from the apostates to us, the church, and then he'll move his focus to those that we need to be ministering to. But also in verses 19 and 20 in, his, in this introductory section that we noticed last week, we see that in his description, in his closing description of who these individuals are, we see the negative of what they are, and then he gives us the positive of what we are to be. So by way of introduction, notice there with me, he says in verse 19, he says, they are tearing down. This is the fruit of apostates, or another way of saying it is they cause divisions. But notice how he gives us the positive. He doesn't just say, don't do that. He gives us the negative example, but in verse 20, he says, but you be building up. You be building up yourselves. Second negative example he gives in recent verses that we've looked at is they are sensual persons, verse 19, worldly-minded. But you be, what is it that we are to be? We are to be heavenly-minded, verse 21 looking, watching for the Lord Jesus. Third negative example that he gives, verse 19, they are devoid of the Spirit, but you be praying in the Holy Spirit. So here Jude moves for the first time in the whole epistle from an outward focus of be careful, be on guard, to really equipping the church to be prepared for self-examination, but also how to live in these apostate times, how to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, how to walk in the power of the Spirit. So he's negatively told them what to avoid. Now he positively tells them what to do. Now last week we touched on this. Who's the audience? Again, notice verse 20. He says, but you, beloved. This is his transition purpose statement. But you, beloved. Who is the beloved? Yes, this is the term that we use for relationships and family. This is those in verse 2 that he says, I desire to write to you, I'm writing to you, the called, the sanctified by God the Father, and preserved, those who are preserved in Christ Jesus. Now he points us to the believer's diligence. Point number one, the believer's diligence. Jude now calls them to action. This action continues what he's given them in verse 3. Remember, he has already called them to earnestly contend for the faith. 
Now, what we find here in verse 3 and what we find in our text tonight is what that looks like. What does it look like to earnestly contend for the faith? Well, here's one practical application as we seek to counsel, reach out to those who've been affected by those false teachers. Here, as we look into the diligence that we're called to pursue, we have four words that begin with the letter P that we're kind of framing our thoughts around. How is the believer's diligence to be worked out? How does Jude specify it? Well, here in verse 20, we see the word progressing. We are to be progressing. Notice what he says, verse 20. But you, church, beloved, you, those who are called, sanctified, will be glorified one day. You, beloved, building yourselves, be building yourselves up on your most holy faith. It's here in this discipline, you could say, of progressing, that he introduces the first virtue, which is faith. Which is faith. In the New Testament, we find again and again that there are different metaphors that are given to describe the church, the body of Christ. Let me give you three, for example. If you remember back on our uh, stewardship night, our church annual meeting night, we, we touched on this. Just to pick three of the metaphors that are used to describe the, the church is, number one, a building, the vine, and the third one is the body. With each one of these, just these three random metaphors, we can apply it into an individual aspect of what Jude is calling us to do and also a corporate aspect. Literally, what he says here in verse 20, be building yourselves up on the foundation or also upon a foundation that has already be, uh, begun. Picking up on Paul's language, Ephesians 2.20, where he tells us, now therefore you are no longer strangers or aliens or foreigners, you, brothers and sisters, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members, notice here, another metaphor, of the household of God. You have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So we're to be building ourselves up. In one sense, you could say in sanctification, we are a, a project under completion. Pardon our progress. The Holy Spirit is working in us. We're not all that we should be, but thank God we are not who we once were. And so as Christians, we are to be growing, or follow our point here tonight, we're to be progressing. Friend, are you progressing in the things of the Lord? Are you growing in grace? Are you building upon, literally be building upon the foundation that has already begun? That foundation is the apostles' doctrine and the cornerstone that is Christ Jesus our Lord. We saw 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, be diligent to present yourself or study, Timothy, to be approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. By way of practical application, friend, are we able to know, take up the sword of the Spirit, progress in the things of God, and rightly divide the word of truth? Peter describes it like this, 1 Peter 2.2, 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So a building metaphor, be building, be growing, be progressing. Second metaphor, just by way of an aside, we can put into here is that of the vine. How does a vine flourish? A vine must be cultivated. A vine must be watered. A vine bears fruit, doesn't it? So we see that as a metaphor for the church. Also that of the body. Man shall not live by bread, physical uh, bread alone. We were eating bread last night and having a dinner. I love bread. And, but we're not to live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So these metaphors help us to understand there's an individual aspect. Then there's the corporate aspect that we apply as well. You say, okay, so what's the point? Well, Jude says, church, you are to be progressing. And when you are progressing in light, when you're progressing in the things of the Lord, when you are growing in the gospel, you're not easily deceived. That's the point. You're not easy uh, fishing for the apostate, right? As he comes knocking... As he comes out with his new book, or you have a friend who's reading the new book that's the latest bestseller, because that's the way apostasy or apostate's influence is today, isn't it? Not only is it in the church, in Jude's day, much more localized, listen, we are global. 
In your pocket, you've got every influence of the world that has ever been, just about. You can look it up. We're ever learning. And so we see that it's being piped in and streamed in. So today, we're easily influenced by all different types of avenues or angles or streams. But the point that Jude calls us to is to be growing or to be progressing. Paul says it like this, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind every single day. So how is this, again, specified? Well, he tells us here we are to be progressing. We are to be growing. The second thing that we see here is that we are to be praying. Verse 20, we are to pray in the Holy Spirit. This is the habit and discipline of the prayer life of the saint. Friends, the greatest ministry God has called us to is our prayer ministry. This is, you could say, Christianity 101. But what Jude wants us to know is how do you protect your heart from being easily deceived? Be someone who knows how to rightly divide the word of truth and pray in the Spirit. Know His desires. Know His directing. Know His work in your life. We saw that praying is, is truly it's spiritual work, isn't it? Praying in the hidden man or praying in the closet means no one sees what we're doing. This is the work of the Spirit. This is energized by the Spirit. In fact, the reason we're praying is we're led of the Spirit to pray. Prayer is truly the most difficult of all the spiritual works that God has called us to do. One author said it like this, prayer will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from prayer. So we see this admonition here in verse 20. We are to pray in the Spirit. What is it to pray in the Spirit? Well, we saw in John chapter 14, verse 13, it is to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. It is to pray in His will. Maybe most concisely, for those of you who are taking notes, what is it to pray in the Spirit, as Jude commands us to do it? It is depending upon the Spirit. It is being filled with the Spirit. It is being yielded to the Spirit. So this is the second thing, the believer that Jude is writing to exhort, to strengthen, encourage, and us even tonight, that we're called to do, to be diligent in. I don't like this. This sounds like commanding language. This is commanding language. These are commands by Jude. You know, we live in a day and age where when you start saying language like that, we automatically say, well, I don't like that. And Jude would say, it doesn't matter. And I'm saying that to you as someone who's been in the text. The text cross-grains me. The text cross-grains us. It says, he sounds like Jude's not giving me a vote in this. No, no, he absolutely isn't. Jude is saying, friends, do this, for your, or abandon this, or neglect this, or for your soul's, uh, 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 the words slips my mind, or your soul will shrivel, if you will, or you will be key prey for the apostate. Progressing in the faith. Secondly, praying in the Spirit. But then the third thing we're to be diligent in, verse 21, notice what he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. This is the third virtue that, that Jude invokes here. Now, we have pointed out this is not in the realm of salvation. This is not in the sense what Jude is not saying is, is keep yourself saved. But Jude is saying keep yourself in the place where God blesses, where he works in the realm of his, in his blessings, in the sphere of his blessings. Maybe two cross-references to help us to, to frame this. 1 Peter 2.9, Peter reminds the church, he says, You church, but you are a chosen generation. First example, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are his own, Christ, his own special people that you may proclaim. Okay, so what, is, all right, so what are we these things for? So that you may proclaim, this is the purpose clause, the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's not just in here, friends. That's declare his glory among the nations. That's out there. That's living faithful everywhere. You, church, are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special, if you've got the King James, it says peculiar. We don't like being peculiar, do we? We'll try to break that down in just a moment. Special, peculiar, unto Christ, that you may proclaim the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You were once nothing, but God has called you, defined you, and now you are His. You are His bride. He has spread His love upon you. 
who obtained not mercy, or excuse me, who had not obtained mercy, but have obtained mercy. This is who we are. This is not drudgery. As John Newton said, our duty and our delight, though they were opposite before, since we have beheld his beauty, those things have joined to part no more. So what sounds to the carnal ear as drudgery or commanding language, as if commands are something that are to our harm. No, 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 no. Which one of the Ten Commandments, friend, is to your harm? No, no. It's for your flourishing. And there's only one who's ever perfectly kept, and that is Christ. So look to Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into his love. And as you do that, you will love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then as a result, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. And you will grow in these things. You are the peculiar people of God. So abide in this. Stay disciplined within the sphere of his blessing. So coming back to that word peculiar, 1 Peter 2, it means... Literally, in a word picture, as often Greek words are, are prone to give us, to help us to see. How many of you are visual learners, when you, pictorial learners, that type of thing? Yes, we're a visual pictorial society, no doubt about it. Well, literally, the word picture that is assigned there is that we are the peculiar people of God. It's as if we're a people with a hedge of protection about us. It's like as if boundaries have been put into place. For example, Job, when he prayed for his children, his family, he said, God put a hedge of protection about them. That's just another example of it. It's a sphere where God's word and blessing is. I know this language makes some uncomfortable. I get that. So I'm trying my best to help explain exactly what it is. Bottom line, to use the language of John, which we heard this morning, it's abiding and dwelling in the love of God. Dwelling in his word. In the realm of the spirit. The things, the fellowship of the body of Christ. The sphere of his Blessing. Who's our example? Our example is Christ, John 8, 29. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that, that please him. Then fourthly, not only the fourth thing we are to be diligent in is our perspective, our prospects. Verse 21. What does Jude say? He says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So Jude has already brought into play faith in our progression, prayer, love. Now he touches on hope. This is our hope. Friends, our hope is not in this present age. Our hope is not in the, the tomorrow's stock report that we'll find in the Wall Street Journal or look up online. Our hope is not in the next Apple display day or whatever the newest devices are. Our hope is not in the things of this age. Our hope is not in the all-star game tonight, as, as fun as that is. Or in the Super Bowl. I, wait a second. The Super Bowl, that was last Sunday night, right? That's so old now, right? That's so yesteryear. It just seems like a year ago now. That's the age we live in. It's here today, gone tomorrow. But see, none of those things, although we are free in Christ to enjoy these gifts of God in their proper place, our hope is not in them. Our hope is not in them. In fact, the Christian is the one who is looking for, waiting anxiously. This word uh, literally means to wait for, to welcome. We're looking for Christ with welcome. We're saying the, the welcome mat is at the door saying, Christ, we anticipate your coming. And we do this by being watchful. In fact, the New Testament closes with the phrase, I want to make sure I quote it directly, the last verses of the book of Revelation. Really, the last words of, of the Scriptures are, he who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The spirit of the Christian is this. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, today could be the day. Now, I do want to take a moment to unpack some things of what this means practically for us. For example, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful. Stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. In these rapid-fire commands that Paul gives, 1 Corinthians 16, notice the very first one is to watch. Continual, present, be watchful. Matthew 24, 44, Jesus says, Therefore you also be ready. What does it mean to be watchful? It means to be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you think not, that you do not know of, that you are not aware of. 
As Christians, we are continually hopeful. Friends, are you hopeful this evening? Hopeful not in our, our, our connections, hopeful not in our circumstances, but hopeful in Christ. This is part of the salt and light difference that, that we exude. The Spirit shows in and through us. We live with eternity in view, eagerly anticipating the Lord's return. In fact, you could say this is the great backdrop by which everything else is framed. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body so that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which even he is able to subdue all things to himself. So have you ever heard the phrase, you know, that those saints down there at Grace Church are too earthly minded, excuse me, too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. You ever heard of that? Have you? I've heard it. So I'm afraid when we hear texts like this, the commands to be watchful, to live with eternity in view, we hear things like this to check out. We hear things like, well, what is that? What's the practicality of that? Are we just, are we, are we just like looking up? Well, it does include that. But because we anticipate the Lord's return, there is practical action that we are called to in the here and now. Just to begin very succinctly, it's the, it's the Great Commission. That the King is coming. Friends, go declare His glory among the nations. Make disciples. Glorify the King by adding to the body of Christ. But I want to get even more practical than that. If you're listening carefully this morning, turn with me to 1 Peter 4, verse 7. This was the second scripture reading that Mike, I believe it was, read for us. But Peter gives us some practical application as we think about this calling that we're called to do. Progressing in faith, praying in the Spirit, having a position of love, a perspective that looks unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Well, what does that mean for tomorrow morning? Let's get very practical. What does that mean for you tomorrow morning and then Tuesday morning after that? Well, Peter helps us give light. He says, First Peter 4, 7, he says, but the end of all things is at hand. So hold on a second. Just notice the perspective of the first century. They anticipated Christ's return in their own lifetimes, right? So with his ascension and his resurrection, the end times are, are here. So that is their perspective. And yet here we are 2,000 years later, and yet we have the same urgency, the same tenor, the same edge in our perspective. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. So what? Okay, Peter, what do we do? Therefore, be serious, sober, and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. So, so what does it mean to be heavenly minded? Is there any earthly good? Oh, absolutely. Pray for the lost. Pray for those that you love who are away from Christ. This is what it looks like. Notice what else he says. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Brandon exhorted us this morning in that, right? What a great word. Not just with those who look like us. Not just those who we have things in common with. Not just to the saved, but to the lost, to our neighbors. May the Lord use us in this 21st century world to be anticipating the return of Christ. And because of that, these things are fruit that we manifest. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to, the, to one another, to the body, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He goes on to give further exhortation. This is what it looks like. And he goes on to say, Christ to whom belong the glory and dominion and power forever and ever. Amen. So yes, with our perspective that the return of Christ is imminent, we are called to grow in these things, to live quiet and peaceable lives. Yet lives that make a difference, friends. We can become, listen, so inoculated, so insulated from anything that's messy or anything that's uncomfortable, and yet this is our calling. This is what we're called to do. Can we just be honest here for a moment? We will never want this, and the struggle of our heart is at times where we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we're immersed in this world. We are like those running the race described in Hebrews chapter 12. We're running the race with baggage. We're running the race with encumbrances. We're running the race like Lot's wife with one eye looking forward and yet we keep 
we keep looking back. We think, here's what we think, we think we're missing out. And so the calling for us is to not be focused in this present age, but to be watchful. And friends, when you do that, you will truly enjoy this broken world, as broken as it is, this Genesis 3 world. It can still be enjoyed unto the greater glory of God, but yet these things are not ultimate. We're not living for the next whatever. We are living for the Lord Jesus Christ and enjoying all of this marvelous, wonderful gifts that James describes. Praise the Father, the Father of lights, who gives us every good and perfect gift And it comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. And yet, these good gifts that we enjoy, we say, you know what, this is great. But whether my team wins or loses, or this mill too shall pass, or this Apple device sure is shiny and great, but you know, it's already outdated in two weeks, right? These things are great, but they don't have my heart. Christ has my heart. His kingdom has my passion. This is what I live for. So could it be that we're not looking for his appearing because we're consumed with and focused upon this world, temporal things, physical possessions. Titus describes it like this, Titus, or in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us, again we see this word, from every lawless deed and purify for his, himself, his own, here's the word, special people. His own peculiar people. This is the bride. Charity is peculiar and special to me. Men like your wives is to to you. In the same way we are to Christ. This is not burdened language. This, This language is not bad. This is flourishing language. As unto the Lord. So because of this, be zealous, Paul says to Titus. Be zealous for good works. So may the Lord help us, church, as we consider this and apply this. As we pursue it. One last passage is too important to leave off. Second Peter 3.12. Peter says this. We are looking for and hastening the coming day of God. Our present our perspective is this. We are looking for the return of Christ. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved. Being on fire. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless we according to his promise. Look for the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is our glorious perspective, that this world is not our home. The best is yet to come. So here Jude is is guiding us to examine not just the apostates, but friends, to examine our hearts. Where Paul says, examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. And when we do this, when we are growing, we're not easily bait or prey or easily deceived by those who would come in to destroy the church. Then that leads us to point number two. Not only the believer's diligence, but notice how Jude here in our text shifts his focus from an inward self-examining focus to an outward focus. Now this is not just to the lost in general per se, but these are those who have come under the influence of these apostates that we've been looking at. All the things that The apostates are known to do to recruit into themselves like Korah, 250 men. They don't just sin alone. They're going to take a whole host with them. Lucifer doesn't just sin alone. He's going to take a whole host with him. The children of Israel who murmur alone, these examples that we've seen that Judah's given, don't just do it by themselves, although they do do it, the scripture says, they murmur quietly in their tents, right? They're taking thousands and whole generations with them. So what we find here is that our focus is to be towards those who are influenced, and yet they are those who we believe to be in the faith. They are those in the church. They are those who profess faith in Christ, and yet they're struggling. As much as I abhor the, be careful, you don't, don't hear what I'm not saying, but I think we overuse the whole struggling language. That, that's what Jude is describing here. I think we can often use, let me just explain that, we can just excuse our sin by saying I'm struggling. We, just, we use words that soften the actual reality of what we're dealing with, and yet we don't ever seem to get over the struggle, run to Christ, mortify the deeds of the flesh, right? So what we have here is those who truly have come under the influence of false teachers, philosophies, teaching. Here Jude counsels the church and gives practical directions for ministry and counseling. It gives recognition to the fact that there are people in the church, there may be people next to you in the pew tonight who have been influenced by a book or a podcast or a YouTube influencer, who knows what in our day and age, or just a friend, someone they work with, 
and says, hey, have you read this? Have you come in? Have you heard this teacher's teaching? He's known for this particular type of teaching. And they begin to, and it's aberrant theology or it's something that is counter to the gospel. And there are people all around us in our homes, in our families, in our friend groups who are affected by and influenced by corrupting influence. Just to put it bottom line, corrupting influence. My family and I, I was dragged kicking and screaming into Hobby Lobby this week. And Hobby Lobby, I realized, has a book section. And I'm a book guy, so if there's books there, I'm looking at it. And I literally, I'm telling you, as I walk up, I'm looking at the book section of Hobby Lobby. Not all of it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm just like, ah! Everything there is just like, oh my word. You could, I mean, you could just, you know, you could say, wow, I don't know about that. Ah, I'm not sure about that. Oh, that sounds good. You know, but as you get into it, you begin to look through it, you're just thinking, oh, ow, you know, not good, not good. So, so we have to beware. And yet all around us, things are popular simply because they're popular, simply because they're trending. And that's why Jude calls us back to self-examination. No, grow in the truth and the faith. And when you know the truth, you can disciple yourself. You can lead yourself as the Holy Spirit leads you, as you're with the body of Christ. You're not those who are going to be easily deceived. Now here, Jude gives us another triad, another grouping of three. Again, this is his theme, and it's fun to teach through Jude because it's, he's organized, and, and it helps you follow him very quickly. So there's more than one kind of person who's influenced by these teachers. First, we see in verse 22, those that were to have compassion towards. Secondly, those were to have concern regarding, and then better distinguished in the New American Standard than what we have in our New King James here this evening. The distinctions of the three groupings is a little bit more clear. But those that were to be very cautious as we interact with them. So the first one there, as we focus towards others, the word compassion, verse 22. Notice what he says. He says, and some, there are those in the church, and some have compassion towards. Have compassion towards them making a distinction. Have mercy with some. So this group, this first group, he goes from lighter to more serious. These are those who've come within the sphere. If you're looking at influence in the sense of a concentric circle, they've come just inside the sphere of a false teacher's teaching or apostate's teaching. They're mulling the message, you could say. They're saying, is this a revival, as we've seen a lot about this week, right, on social media? It's the honest question, like, what is this? Is this this? Well, I think the bent of all of our hearts should be, my goodness, we pray for revival, don't we? I sure hope it is. So I'm not going down that track, but let me just remind all of us, before there is a spirit of consternation, this is what we pray for, right? We do desire revival, right? Certainly we do. Now, I would admit to you, I have some, some, some cautions. I was a basketball player on Asbury's campus many years ago, played on there, went to their book campus. I could tell you some of my own experiences of being on campus. I could tell you the experience of others, but friends, quite frankly, I'm not there, and I can tell you what I think, but that's all it is. It's simply my opinion. But I'll say simply this, you have people asking the questions, is this, what, what is this? Is this genuine revival? So it's that type of thing, the, the, the question of what's going on in the current vernacular, what's going on in, in circles, what is trending? Have you heard this message by this very influential speaker? He speaks to thousands. It's unique, and here's the thing, it's new, okay? <laughs> when, when we hear that language, our concerns should go up. I'm careful to use the word discernment because there's many people who call themselves discerners and quite frankly, they're just tear down, they just tear down the church. Uh, discernment, although we're called to it and the Spirit gives it as He leads us into truth, criticism is not a fruit of the Spirit. So there's a key distinction between simply being critical and yet having the discerning work of the Spirit as He leads us into truth and teaches us and shows us Christ. So, so we want to be careful. There are those who say, hey, this new book is this, and it's great. My friend, all, the, all people are reading it. It was gifted to me. As you begin to get into it, you realize, I've never heard this before. Is this sound? Is this accurate? So they're just simply asking the question. So they come to you. They know that you're a serious student of God's Word. They know that you profess faith in Christ. And friend, that's why you need to be progressing in the faith. That's why you need to be growing in the things of God. Corporately, being fed, but also personally. Man, you need to be leading your homes, praying with your family, your wives and children, leading them in the truth, shepherding your homes, and leading in the ways that God has given you so that you can shepherd and protect your wives and your children as they navigate this world and oftentimes these contexts. So how do we handle them? We shepherd them, as Jude says, kindly. 
We have compassion upon them. Our response to them is, oh my goodness, you don't know your Bible? It's not a sense of derision. For example, it's the Spirit of God in James 1. Going back to James 1, we're not going to turn there, but we're, we come to God and we ask for wisdom. Notice there, we're asking God a question. God, I have a question for you. How does God interact with us as His children? He does not chide us. He does not deride us. He gives to all men liberally when we ask in faith, when we come to Him as His children. So these are those who are on the, very, the, the, they're on the outer edge. They simply have come into contact with false doctrine or truth. And they, they, listen, oftentimes I think we don't give people credit for the fact that they're coming to you. So instead of you tearing them down, honor the fact that they're coming to you, church. Your friends come to you knowing that you go to a sound church or that you walk with God. You have a faithful presence, a faithful witness. Recognize that. But lest you get off track, you take them to the Word of God. You say, well, here's what God's Word says. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, yeah. Well, if I, I haven't read that book or I haven't heard that message, but I do know what God's Word says. And friends, that's all you need to know. In a world where there is more influences and resources and clips and books than you could ever touch in your lifetime, let me just remind all of us, the only thing you need to know is this right here. And if you know this, you can navigate everything else. Everything else is in addition to this right here. Let this be your marrow. Let this be your food. Let this be your meat. Know the razor edge of God's truth, and you will know how to counsel and to have compassion, as Jude calls us here in verse 22. So we're not mocking them. Have you ever been around someone like that? They're constantly a cynic. They're constantly a sarcastic person. There, there is use for sarcasm, don't get me wrong. But this is the person who's always mocking uh, to the person who would come needing counsel and leading, they simply cut them down and make them regret ever asking. So we teach them, point them to the Word of God, point them to sound doctrine. We interact with them in a gentle manner. We meet people where they're at. Sometimes you say, well, how do I know? Um, I was in, I was, um, I've been in conversations at times where, where someone says, wait a second, wait a second, you're, 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 and they're accusing you of being emotional. You say, I'm just meeting you where you're at. Someone who's on a level 10 wants to be on a level 10, but they don't want you to be on a level 10. So when you meet them where they're at, all of a sudden they want to begin lecturing you on how you're interacting with them. So bottom line is oftentimes you say, well, how, do I, how do I know who to have compassion on? You can tell. The Spirit will lead you in the truth. You deal with them kindly. You shepherd these lambs that are God's children. And you meet them where they're at. You counsel them with the Scriptures. You give them counsel and affirmation, and you pray with them. And you, then you say, aha, all right, I need to meet with this individual. These type of people are shallow. They're, they're young in their faith, and they need to grow in the things of the Lord. So, hey, as we talked about in our Sunday school class this morning, here's a circumstantial opportunity. Hey, let's meet. Hey, let's start meeting on Mondays for coffee, and we can study God's Word together. And I will, we'll, we'll study this together, and we'll walk through the Scriptures, and I want to help you here. These are those that we have compassion upon and with. Secondly, the second sphere Verse 23, are those that we have concern regarding. There are those that we express concern towards. Verse 23 says, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. So, lest we wonder what Jude is saying, he gives us a metaphor. Last night, we had a fire pit with our kids. All these little kids were all around. We're making s'mores. And you know, when you have a fire pit and kids all together, there's one chief concern, that nobody burned the house down or that nobody falls into the fire. For whatever reason, the winter here uh, bought logs that are constantly popping, and like out of nowhere, they're just going pop, and like just embers are going everywhere. We've got a wood deck, we've got a house here, so we're constantly like, just watch the embers and make sure, you know, like we stomp them out. But then you add to that, these little children who are simply children. They get to dancing around, they're more excited with their s'more, they're exci more excited about the different blackness to their marshmallow and all those little details the next thing you know you can just see them getting closer and closer and those flames are popping and you pull them back literally and that's what Jude is describing here he says there are those who are in imminent here's the difference they're not just on the outer they're not just simply saying hey have you heard about or somebody said something about no 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 these are those that are like going like like insects to the to the light the little killer insect thing and uh, the mosquitoes towards the zapper for lack of better words these are those who are heading if they continue on their trajectory towards destruction so whereas jude says have compassion be merciful towards these others 
Here, force is needed. Here, it's out of love. You reach and you grab them and say, friend, wake up. Friend, listen to me. You're headed towards a fire. Intervention is, is needed. These are those in danger of their being convinced by error. They abandon the truth. At least it appears they're beginning to abandon the truth. Their questions go from just general questions to nonstop questions, and they're never able to actually come maybe to a knowledge of the truth. It's just constantly philosophical. Well, I'm just not sure. I've begun to really rethink these things. I'm reexamining my faith. I'm deconstructing in this area, and I'm reconstructing in that area. And I'm not trying to mock them. That's just the language that's used. But it's constantly just moving away from the gospel. So our, our, our attitude towards them is not one of, yeah, it's okay. It's one of intervention is needed. Wolf pastors have influence towards them through the internet, through television. In my mind, as I was studying the message, I was just thinking of the men we were talking about at lunch today, those pastors that we trained when we have the opportunity to go to Kenya. And those men are a prime example of what I'm talking about here. They think anything that comes out of America is gold, literally. They look at American pastors who are powerful and influential and think, if I do this, I can become like that. And there's a very real temptation to simply serve Christ because what they see from American pastors, if I serve Christ, I will become healthy, wealthy, and wise. I will get riches. I'll become well-to-do. I told you when I came back, I got into the car from the airport in Nairobi, and Joel Osteen's on the radio. I just thought, even here, you know, you just like, can't get away from the guy, right? Listen, they're influenced. They're being taught. They're being told things they want to hear, but not told about sin, repentance, and the pure gospel of Christ and discipleship. So we take it up a notch. Now, I can anticipate questions that some of you may have. Some of you have done this, and you've not had the results. You were uh, forceful, if you will. You reached out in very real concern, and the one that you love did not respond. Well, obviously, it is not effective to keep doing that, but you can pray. And our conclusion tonight is never stop praying as we saw earlier, pray in the Spirit. I, I, I know some of you are thinking, it's is not every time you interact with this person after they have rejected and, and given you the stiff arm, is not to continue to do that. But be ready to speak the truth, no doubt about it. It's like you've caved on your position. But it's then just to keep praying and ask the Lord for the right opportunity so that they will hear you, being ready for that. Lastly, Jude gives us this example, verse 23, not only to have compassion towards some concern, and then he gives us a very graphic example of being cautious. Cautious. Verse 23, he says, hating even the garment that is defiled by the flesh. And again, this is better distinguished the three divisions and other translations than the one we're using here tonight in the New King James. This is a third category, I believe. Jude has used triads all throughout the whole book, so I believe he's making three distinct groupings here. In this last group, the idea is to be cautious. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, he uses this unusual language. This third group is a group that has been most affected. In fact, this is someone who has been defiled. They've been brought into false doctrine, and they have given themselves over to false doctrine. There's not just concerns and questions. There's one of full abandonment to it. They have accepted the error, and because they have accepted the error, they are defiled, and they are brazen in their defilement. And so Jude says, for these, we can still desire their rescue, but be cautious. Notice what he says there in verse 23, with fear. Notice with this caution, there is an aspect of how we are to do it. Have respect, notice here, for the sin or the teaching that is at play. Make sure that you're not being dragged down into the very sin, just to give a, an aside. If you've struggled with drugs, and God's saved you out of that, as, as you're newly delivered from that, it may not be best for you to go hang out with those same friends right now to try to reach them for Christ. Just to give a random aside, and maybe it's not the best illustration. Because if you're not careful, you will be pulled back to the very sin that you're trying to save them from. So friends, I was going to tell you, this is not necessarily easy to preach. Some of you are looking at me like, well, you're not necessarily making this clear. Well, friends, I'm trying my best to, to, to make these distinctions. But quite frankly, as I say, this is not always what we want to hear. We want something easier than that. Just tell me the quick one, two, three, because that's everything we hear today. 
Just give me the three-step plan for how I can reconcile and we can be friends again. Well, Jude doesn't do that. He does give us three things, but he doesn't, it's not the, you know, one plus one plus one equals this and everything's a happy story. Not at all. This is, let me just say this, this is soul work. We are physicians of souls. And the only way to do this is to pray, to love Christ and to love others and have the leading and the wisdom of his spirit. But one thing it is not is easy. One thing it is not is easy. So this third category, notice, and excuse me here, this is the language that Jude is using. Notice what he says, verse 23, with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that is defiled by the flesh. What does he mean? What is he talking about? Well, the word for garment here is not a tunic, as was worn in the first century world, a a robe or an outer tunic. This garment, the language is the undergarment that touches the flesh, our undergarments. The next word that we hear, it is the garment that touches the skin, but the language that he's using, hating even the garment that is defiled by the flesh, this word defiled literally means stained. If you're using the NAS or LSB, it it just says that word. Literally, those that are stained. So this word is excrement, waste. So what Jude is saying is garments stained by the flesh, garments that have been sold, and he's saying this is like that. Be careful with fear, pull them out of the fire, but then here, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh, hating the sin that is absolute destroying this individual that they fully have given themselves over to. And if you're not careful, you will be as well if you are not prepared to deal with it. An example that comes to mind, now I'm taking, I will tell you on the front end, a little bit of liberty here. Demas is given to us. We're not told why Demas leaves Paul But maybe just to give you a practical biblical illustration, Paul says, maybe one of his more lonely moments in ministry, Paul says, all have abandoned me, even Demas, who has loved this present age. Jude was one of those who was once with us, like you are, Paul says. Jude was one of those who preached the gospel with me. Jude was one of those who preached the message of repentance and reconciliation again unto Christ. But now Jude is no longer that. Jude is one of those who's loved this present age, and he's gone. That's what, excuse me, Jude, uh, Demas. And that's what Jude is describing here. Now, I I did take liberty. I think you know that. I'm dealing with a well-versed congregation in regards to Demas. We don't know why Demas, but we are told this. Demas has left the gospel ministry. Demas has left the ministry for the sake of Christ because he has loved this present age. Well, you could describe most of the, simply this is the, as we know the context of Jude, what I believe the apostate's key teaching is licentiousness, right? I think uh, overabundance of grace that leads to sin. I think that's the tenor. The works of the flesh seems to be Jude's emphasis here regarding their teaching. So what Jude is saying is be careful. Fear contamination. Fear defilement. Thomas Schreiner says this in his commentary. He says, believers are to beware lest their mercy is transposed into acceptance and they themselves become defiled by the sin of those they are trying to help. It's the friend who, well, I could give lots of examples. I just want to be careful there. I'm not, I only want to give, I want to just lead you in the truth. So I'm going to just pause on that. So as we close these examples that Jude gives, he directs and moves our attention from verses 17 through 20, from the apostates, he leaves them once and for all. He directs our attention towards ourselves, and we'd be building ourselves up in the most holy faith. And then we have an eye, not only towards just us bunking down in our bunkers and waiting out for the return of Christ and just holding out, not at all. There's practicality here. Advancement of the gospel here. Practical holiness here. We are those who have an eye towards others as we make disciples, as we win the lost, as we reclaim those who are struggling under the influence of false teaching. And the only way we do this is to stay on our knees in prayer. Is to pray. We're called to pray. So I know after a lesson like this or a message like this, there, there are lots of questions. As we think about the practical breakdown into our everyday relationships and lives. And friend, here's my answer to you, is pray. Get into the Word of God. Know the sword of the Spirit. Pray always in all prayer. Pray, intercede for those who have no sense to pray for themselves. 
Pray for the lost. Pray for those that have abandoned the gospel. Pray for those that you love. And ask the Lord to give you leading and insight and wisdom and grace. May we be those who live up to our name, who are gracious, are merciful, because we have received those things. You know, we live in a day and age. I was listening to Brandon preach this morning. He was talking about that love of Christ. So, so what do we do here? And he was talking about we fix our eyes upon the ocean of God's love. And we say, God, love them through me, right? And I was thinking of the phrase, I saw, speaking of Hobby Lobby, a book, Love Like You've Never Been Hurt, that kind of that the title. I was just thinking about a couple of things I was listening to him preach this morning. You know, the world often says, well, you know, hurt people hurt people, right? Uh, the reason they're so ugly or the reason they're just the way they are, that's just them. They've been hurt. Who hasn't? Who hasn't been hurt? I'm not minimizing that. We've all been hurt, friends. But I want to tell you the difference in human wisdom and human psychology is this. Hurt people are not just those who hurt. But if you, know, if you have known the love of Christ, loved people love. Those who've tasted and seen of the goodness of God and have been loved by the perfecting love of God are those who are enabled to love. And so love people, don't just love people based upon what they've done for them lately, but because we know God and we keep our eyes fixed on Him, the author and finish of our faith, we, we, are, we are those doing what Jude is describing, and yet we're thinking, God, help me to reach the lost. Help me to snatch them from the fire. Lord, use me. Lead me by Your Spirit. Help me to do what You've called me to do. So grace, may we be that. Loved people who love people and love God and love the truth. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for your word. It is meat for our souls. Father, it is good for us to do all that we do on this Lord's day. To live our life out of a flow of rest. Our world is beating themselves to death, working and pursuing entertainment. Pursuing all kinds of things. And Father, we thank you for what this day does for us as it is the Lord's day. It is the first day. We set it apart unto you to be used by you, to be fed your truth, and yet to go into our week this week refreshed and strengthened, fulfilled, reminded, rebuked, on our knees saying, God, help me, forgive me of my sin. Use me afresh and anew, O God, for your glory. Life is short. Father, would you use us as grace leaves now this place? Would you take us, Father, as we go forth in your name? Would you help us to have compassion, making a difference? It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.